I invite you now to stand in uh, either body or in spirit for the reading of our gospel lesson this morning. Our gospel lesson will come from Mark chapter 13. We'll be reading verses 24 through 37. A reading from Mark chapter 13, verses 24 through 37. But in those days after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. For they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the end of the earth to the end of heaven. From the fig tree learn this lesson. As soon as the branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you will know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be aware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey, when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his, with his, with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening, or at midnight, or at cockcrow, or at dawn. Or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I said to you before, it's a good thing that I do not buy the presents for our family, because if it were so, for every momentous occasion, my family would receive socks and gum. Because I'm not a good gift getter. That's just not what I'm, I'm. I'm an excellent gift receiver. I'm great at that. But the giving, I'm not quite as good at. So my family's always really good with gifts, gift giving. And one of the things I did, uh, did last year was I, I got me a record player in my office. So I, I've been collecting records. And so now for every, for every birthday or anniversary or whatever, my, my family's been getting me some records. And so I love music. And recently... Holly got me for a present an album that's one of my favorite albums of all time from one of my favorite bands of all time. It's a bluegrass band you may or may not have heard of called Nickel Creek. If you like bluegrass, you may have heard of them. They're a younger uh, group. Chris Thiele's the lead singer, the mandolin player. Uh, they're just, they're so talented. If you like bluegrass, they're just a great young group. Uh, Thiele is a virtuoso player. The other two members are brothers and sisters. They have really tight harmonies. Just musically, it's just, I mean, me and Frank were talking for the service. It's hard to find a bad bluegrass band, but this band in particular, just they're just amazing musicians. But what I love about them is they're great lyricists. Like they can write, I, I, I'm one of those weirdos where I listen for the lyrics as much as I listen for the actual music. Um, so their words are just so interesting and beautiful. And as, as I read the passage today prepared, to prepare for the sermon, I, it made me actually think of a Nickel Creek song that I love called the 21st of May. 21st of May is a song written from the perspective, I don't know how many of y'all, does the name Harold, Harold Camping mean anything to any of you in this building today? I doubt you probably remember Harold Camping, but I know you remember what he did. Or you, you may. He was the guy in 2011 that said the world is going to end on May 21. And of course, 
as we know from still sitting here, he was wrong. So this song is written from his perspective. And so if you go back and look at what happened, he said the world's going to end on May 21st, and he got it wrong, and he said, well, actually, I'm sorry, it's September. It's September something. And obviously he was wrong again. But the song is written from his perspective. He has this great line that said, I, I never led you astray except for the fall of 94. Because if you go back and look at C- Camping's story, he did this big thing in, May, in 2011. They put on billboards. The world's going to end on this day. Put on billboards all over Southern California, and it became national n- news. What you then you read about him, you realize, oh, he did the same thing in 1994. In 1994, he said the world's going to end on such a day. And he was wrong. So he said, oh, wait, 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 no, hold on. I did the math wrong. It's actually going to be later that year. He was wrong then again. So he's like Ofer. Like he is, he's Ofer. And so after 2011, he, he retired and said, okay, I guess I'm, I'm retiring. I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm no good at this. And, and, and he later retired. So he, 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 he made a career basically of trying to guess and figure out when the world was going to end. You know, as humans, we've always been fascinated by this. I, I didn't grow up in a church that talked much about this. So when I went to college, I was dating a girl, and her church was very into the end of the world. So I went to, um, I went to, uh, we went to uh, uh, church one night, and they were showing a video, and I came out of that video, and I was terrified. Like, I was a Christian. Like, I know where I'm going. And I watched this movie, and I was scared. And so I'd get out of the shower, and nobody was at home. I thought, Lord, don't come back, and I'm gone. I'm here. There's nobody here. So I jokingly say I have my rapture list. You know, like if, I went, if there's nobody around, I'll call them. Okay, they're still here, good, because I know they're going to get taken. So they're good. So as long as they're still on the earth, I'm good. I don't, I don't, I'm probably not on anybody's rapture list. They're like, okay, they're not really worried about me, Tim. So. Um, but humans have always been fascinated by this. Um, y'all remember Y2K? You know, I, I used to work at a bookstore back around the turn of the millennium. And we sold to, so many Y2K books, we could have heated the world with their fire for thousands of years, probably. You remember Left Behind? Those books? How about y'all remember Harold Lindsay, uh, and, and, Harold Lindsay and the late great planet Earth, where he had to write multiple editions because every time he said the world's going to end and he got it wrong, he had to go back and explain why he got it wrong. If you go back to 1000 AD, around the turn of the first millennium, we saw the same thing. We humans have always been fascinated by the end of the world. We see Jesus teaching of it today. Now, I'm a little weird. I've never been one that's been overly fascinated by it. Because as Jesus says, no one's going to figure it out. So I don't figure some moron from Bogotilla is going to figure it out. So I'm not really, there's a, lot, there's a lot smarter folk than me that hadn't gotten it right, so I don't feel like I've got much of a shot. I, I, I've, always, um, I've always been, you know, the terms are premillennial or, or postmillennial and all these type of things about how you figure out when he's going to return. I'm what you call a panmillennialist. It's all going to pan out in the end. It's kind of the way I look at it. I taught a class when I was in Ripley called Ask Andy, where I had people ask me questions, and I answered them in Sunday school. One of the questions was, what's the official Methodist teaching on the end of the world? What's the official Methodist teaching on the second coming? I'm like, well, that's a great question. So I want you all, I mean, I'm going to now give you 
the official Methodist doctrine on the Lord's return. So I want you to get your pen out and paper. It's very complicated. This is the official teaching of the Methodist church on the Lord's return. It's going to happen. It's what we believe. It's going to happen. I've never been one that's been overly uh, focused on it or overly fixated upon it. But that said, when we read the text today, we see the importance of this doctrine. And we see this why this matters because Jesus talked about it in great detail. He, he, uh, he, it made the creed, y'all. <laughs> and if it's in the creed, it's kind of a big deal. It's kind of a big deal. So, so what are we to do with this? What, what are we to do with this doctrine? Why is this something that we should fixate on? Why is this something that we should focus on? First off, I think it's very important, as Kim mentioned during a children's moment today, throughout the summer, we're talking about difficult Bible passages. And if there's one thing I really want you to understand about the Bible when it comes to difficult Bible passages, you need to always read the Bible in context. Look at that verse and specifically look at what's around it. Always look at the Bible in the context of what's around it. But even greater than that, remember, the Bible is one overarching story from beginning to end. We need to always look at the difficult passages in the context of the passages that make more sense. We use the Bible to interpret the Bible. We use what we understand about Scripture to interpret the things that we do not understand about Scripture. Scripture helps interpret itself. So, I'll explain this, what this means for me simply. We all have lenses that we look at the Bible through. For me, for Andy Stoddard, the lens that I see all of Scripture through is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever would believe would not perish but have eternal life. God loved the world, everybody. That means the folks we like, the folks we don't like. It means our friends, it means our enemies. God loves everybody. There's not a person who's ever been born, if we read the Bible, not made in the image of God. God loves everybody. There's not a person that God does not love. But however, the people that God loves, they must then respond to his love. Because while God may love you, God is going to give you free will and agency and choice to accept or reject. God loves you. Even if you reject him, God loves you. God's love is not based upon your action. God's love is based upon, his, upon who he is. But then that puts the responsibility on me and you to choose to accept or to reject. For those who accept, there's eternity. For those who do not, there's perishment. But I'll read the Bible in light of that. We interpret the things that we understand, the things we don't understand, in light of what we do understand. So, let's look at the return of Christ in the light of the totality of Scripture. The Bible is the story of God's plan of redemption after the fall. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see creation. Creation was made good. Genesis 3, sin enters in. And when sin enters in, everything gets corrupt and and, and, and perverted and deformed. And so we see, as, as Paul says in Romans 8, 
Creation was subjected to futility by the one who subjected it, and is now in hopes of its redemption and from from in hopes of its eventual redemption. All of creation is groaning for redemption. So when we see we see in Revelation, what we see is we see not just just the, not the destruction of everything, but we see in Revelation twenty one. John says, I look and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. We see that the Bible speaks of Jesus' return as, as renewal, as recovery, as restoration, as the recapturing of what sin has taken. So in light of Scripture, we see his return not as something to be afraid of, but something to long for, to wait for. When, when guys, there's going to come a time when there's going to be no more sin. There's going to come a time when there's no more cancer. There's going to come a time where there's no more heart disease. There's going to come a time where there's no more hatred or poverty. Where there's no more division. Where there's no more temptation. Where there's no more sin. Where all this stuff that weighs upon us, all this stuff that robs our joy and our peace and our life, all this stuff that is corrupt around us, when all this is gone, and he will be in the midst of us, and the Bible says that he will make his home among mortals. Sin and death are no more, and he will wipe away every tear from our eye. And so all this stuff that weighs on us, all this stuff that robs us, all this stuff that destroys us, all this stuff that corrupts us, all this stuff that is so destructive and wrong, there's going to come a time when there'll be no more of that, when it will all be gone. And we will worship the Lord forever with no more sin, hatred, division, poverty, abuse, addiction, depression, racism. None of that. It's all gone. And we will forever be with the Lord and death will be no more. Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. When we see what the return of Christ looks like in the whole of Scripture, it's not something to be feared, but it's something to wait for anxiously with joy. Because one day, one day, all these things that destroy humanity, all these things that rob humanity, all these things that destroy life will forever be gone. And only what is good, holy, and pure will remain. Oh, y'all, how awesome will that be? Can you imagine a world with no more cancer? No more death. No more division. No more hatred. No more temptation. But a world where all that's gone. And we will forever be with the Lord. Come quickly, Jesus. That's what the return of Christ looks like within the whole of Scripture. So a passage like today, I think, reaffirms to us that it's going to be a little bit bumpy. It's going to be a little bit of a bumpy ride getting there. But the destination is not something to be afraid of. So, real quick, I think we can take two big takeaways from this passage, one of which we've already talked about, is that this passage teaches us that he's going to return. I mean, it's going to happen. It's one of the key doctrines of our faith. It made the creed for goodness sake. It's a, it's gonna, he's going to return. And he's going to restore what sin has taken. He's going to restore what sin has destroyed. He's going to forever crush death and the devil. And all that is evil will forever be gone. 
and we have something to look forward to. This is not something for us to fear. The return of Christ is not something for us to be afraid of as Christians, but it's something to long for because all these things that weigh upon us and divide us and break us will forever be gone. So first off, we see that it's, it's going to happen. That's the key. Secondarily, is when's it going to happen? I don't know. Like Jesus says, hey, no one knows, not the Son, not the heavenly host, only the Father. So, if Jesus doesn't know, I'm not going to figure it out. And by the way, y'all are all amazing and smart and good looking and everything a human being could ever want to be. But if Jesus hasn't figured it out, you're not either. So don't worry with it. Because I think sometimes we can get so, I used to have heard it put like this when I was a kid. We can get so heaven-minded we're no earthly good. The return of Christ should be something that we keep, that keeps our hope up. That no matter how bad it may seem now, things are going to be okay one day. No matter how dark it may feel now, things are going to be okay. No matter how beaten or abused or afraid we may feel, it's going to be okay. The Lord is not blind. The Lord sees. The Lord restores. So the Lord gives. We don't have to be afraid of anything. In fact, I think one thing we Christians need to stop doing is being afraid of everything. We can live with joy and hope and peace because one day the Lord's going to make all things right. That should be a hopeful thing, an exciting thing. But it also should not be something that consumes every ounce of our fear, every ounce of our life, every ounce of everything. You remember the, remember the story in Thessalonians where Paul says, if you don't work, you don't eat? Remember that passage? Let me tell you what Paul's talking about there. Some folks in, in Thessalonica were so anxious for the Lord's return that they stopped working. They stopped trying to help the church. They stopped trying to spread the gospel. They stopped trying to help society. They said, well, the Lord's going to return, so why should I do anything? So what Paul say? You don't work, you don't eat. The Lord will return on his schedule, not on yours. So until he comes, until he comes, be faithful. Until he comes, work. Until he comes, as the hymn we sang earlier said, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Until he returns, trust and obey and work in this moment for the good of the kingdom. Work in this moment for the good of your families. Work for the good of the church. Every day he tarries is an act of grace. Because every day he tarries, we get to tell one more person about Jesus. Every day he tarries, we get to love one more person. Every day he tarries, we get to point one more person towards Jesus. And so, yes, I would love for him to return today to be rid of all these things. But every day he has given us is a gift. He's given us to work for the good of others. Given us to work for the good of the kingdom. Given us to work to proclaim his message of hope and restoration and life. Every day we're here, y'all. Every day we are breathing his air is a blessing. It's a gift that he has given to us. And a gift that we are to live out for others. Yes, he will return. 
Maranatha, Lord, as Revelation says, come quickly. But that's on his time frame, not on mine. So every day, every day that he gives me, every day that he gives us, every breath we have, every moment of our life, every opportunity we're being blessed by, let's use it, y'all. Let's use it. Let's not waste it. Let's use every moment that he's given us to work for good and for the kingdom and to tell others about him. And so that time does come and we see him in his glory and we enter into his kingdom. We will hear, we will hear well done, my good and faithful servant. One day, y'all, one day, no more sickness, pain, and death. Come quickly, Lord. But until that day comes, may we work for the good of the kingdom. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the grace that comes from our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for his love and for his mercy, God. Help us to work for the good of the kingdom. With every moment you've given us, God, use us that others may know the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. Amen. We now come to our time of Holy Communion. So I'm going to invite you to turn with me to page 12 in your hymnal. Real quick, I just want to walk you through something logistically. The way we're going to do communion is this. Our ushers will be uh, directing you where to go. We're going to start with the balcony, and we're going to come down. Those of you in the balcony will come down and take communion. And then on the floor, we're going to go row by row. We'll have a station here and a station there that our ushers will direct you to. You will be given a cup with juice in it. You'll be given a piece of bread. You can take the elements there. Then you can place the cup on the altar rail. And, of course, you're welcome to pray as well. And, of course, any, of course, any donations given will go to the John Wesley Fund to use for benevolence ministries within our church. But basically, you can just follow the ushers as they will guide and direct you to the communion stations at the con conclusion of our prayer. So I invite you now to join with me on page 12 for our service of Holy Communion. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin, and who seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, 
God of power and might. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you, and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. By the baptism of the suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night when he gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which was given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of these your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on those of us gathered here. On these gifts of bread and wine, Make them to be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world. Till Christ comes in final victory, we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, and your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen.